When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hey, what's going on? It is Rad with another awesome episode of Soft Rep Radio. Just like the shirt, if you're watching, says Soft Rep, Special Operation Forces Report, and today... Besides the book club that I'm going to tell you about, go check out our book club, softrep.com, book hyphen club, get into the books. We might have our next guest book in the library of book clubs, if he'll allow us, and that is Rick Kaiser, Master Chief, Underwater Demolition Team, Navy SEAL, Frogman. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. The book has been a, uh, is you know, it's kind of a controversial thing in the SEAL world to, to write a book. Right. So, uh not all my friends didn't even know I wrote a book, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> well, it's, it's called Frogman Stories, and I'm sure there has to be something that, you know, inspires the youth of yesterday to be the Frogman of today. You know, whether it's, boy, you know, uh, Jacques Cousteau, right, you know, talking about his underwater adventures and, you know, or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, you know, what's under the sea, right? And and there you go. So okay. how old were you? Let me ask you this. Let's get right into that. How old were you when you decided you wanted to join the military? I was, uh, you know, born and raised in uh, south of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, I, I think I always had the fascination with the water and the ocean. And like you were talking about with Jacques Cousteau, I mean, I loved watching the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. And I thought my best way to get to that would be joining the Navy. So I was 16, actually, when I went into the uh, Naval uh, Navy recruiter's office and thought that I wanted to join going to submarines and uh, be a submariner. And on his desk, he had a little pamphlet. Now, this is back in the uh, late 70s, a little pamphlet on Navy SEALs. And I'd never even heard of that before, right? And it was about five pages, and it had just pictures of SEALs doing SEAL things, right? Shooting and jumping and diving and doing all this cool stuff. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I took the pamphlet home, uh, thought about it for a couple of days, and went back to the recruiter and said, this is what I want to do. Sign me up. Was there an indoctrination class, or did you go straight from, like, basic training into the, you know, well, the back when program, I did it, the... uh, it's a lot different now. But when I did it, yes, I joined the Navy. You go to boot camp. Uh, I went to Orlando, Florida. And then I uh, went to uh, like a A school, which is uh, uh, the Navy's basic training uh, to learn a skill. So if I failed to become a SEAL, which 70% do, um, I could go to the fleet and uh, use my trade that I had learned at A school to you know, serve the Navy. Uh, so I went, in my case, I went to Hull Technician A school in um, Philadelphia. 
which was basically learning how to weld and firefight and stuff like that. And then it went from there to buds. So it took me about, I don't know, six months from the time I joined the boot camp A school before I got the buds. What advice do you have to my young listener who's, you know, deciding that this is their, they want to go there, but you know, they might deal with like being homesick at boot camp. What did you ever experience like that loss of like, where am I? What am I doing here with myself? Oh, I sure did. I mean, I think everybody does, uh, especially on the first day. You know, I'd never even <laughs> been on an airplane before, you know, and uh, they flew me from Milwaukee to Orlando. And uh, so that was, you know, the, the first shock when your ears don't clear because you're not sure what you're doing on, on the plane. And then you get in there and then you're just, you know, proceed to get yelled at by the uh, instructors and, uh, you know, get a haircut and everything else. So it's, it's a shock. And yeah, so I, I think I felt that in the first, you know, day or two. And then it's, uh, you're pretty busy after that and you start, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And yeah. their main goal is to make sure that every minute of your day is filled with something, right? So you're not right. bored and you're not lonely and you don't want to quit. You want to sleep when you sleep. You're like not staying awake. You're like, I'm out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I love to hear that. And, I, and my listener out there, you know, if you're on the fence about, you know, taking the next step, you should just go to a career counselor at your local recruiting station and you talk to them and see if it is the next step for you. You might see a pamphlet. You might've thought one thing and then you see the pamphlet and think another thing. You're like, Hey, and there's nothing wrong with getting welding trade, firefighting trade, uh, a need of the Navy sounds ominous. It's like, Oh no, I'm going to be doing laundry all day as a need of the Navy. But you know, Hey, no, someone needs uh, to do the, (laughs) go ahead. So I was, I run the uh, Navy SEAL museum in Fort Pierce, Florida and in San Diego. I advise young people every day because they don't have a lot of contact with military people, especially uh, not so much in San Diego because that, that is the world's largest military uh, community, believe it or not. But Beach places front. like Fort Pierce or the other places we travel for fundraising, they don't have that contact with military folks and they don't even know what to ask, right? So we kind of walk them through it. And I think the favorite thing I do is like immediately if, if mom and dad walk in with the young man or woman, I, I kick them out of the office and say, yeah. mom, dad, see ya. You're out. You know, I want to talk one-on-one because I, I don't want them asking me questions for their kid. Right. Cause they're right. about to make a big decision and I don't want either one of those two in there. You know, of, of course they're going to have a part of it when it's time, but not when they're you know asking questions and they want to do this and that. I'll do that separately for them, but not, that that really tells me whether the uh, the young person is ready, you know. Is when they're ready. When they yeah. they're like, "Hey, what's up, mom, dad? I'll yeah. be right back." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let me talk to him. Yeah, I'll be right back. No, I'll be right back. You guys, hang on. Yeah. You know that young man. No, I feel you. And uh, I remember when I went in through my recruiting through the Air Force, and uh, I know thanks for not holding that over on me. He <laughs> said, "This is your choice. You're choosing to do this. I'm not forcing you to choose this. You're choosing this." And I exactly. Said, that's right. And that's I'm choosing this. Yep. You can't, you can't be forced. Right. And that's, that's what happened with like, say, um, you know, conscriptions and forced, you know, service into a nation, like say, uh, nothing wrong with, uh, South Korea, but you have forced military, uh, Israel, you have forced military, other countries, you have forced military in America. We have the draft. We register for selective service, uh, as an 18 year old man. Right. And has that crossed over? Do you think to man anger? I mean, I, I know this is old school thinking, but I, I believe that, uh, uh, mandatory service of some sort for the country mm-hmm. is a good thing 
it doesn't have to be the military. It could be something else. Correct. I think yeah. uh, the places I've gone that I've seen this, I think they're better off for it because everybody has the same kind of uh, knowledge base across the country, right? Because they've all served in some way. So they all have that connection. Exactly. Like, look at Israel right now, right? They were having a big protest before they were attacked about their government. And when the government realized that everybody protesting them were all veterans. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, 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 wait. Who's protesting us? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> 17 through 40-year-olds? Is yeah. that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, so I mean, that really, that's a, that's a real thing to think about, right? Because you have everybody all like-minded. They're like, hey, we've all, you know, learned how to do certain things, march a certain way. Now, when you march to a certain drum, you know, you, you learn these secrets of training and, you know, getting through it and just, you know, closing your eyes and be able to capture some sleep. So let me just jump into Hell Week with you or, or something in Buds. How did you cope with, you know, the stresses that your instructors were specifically putting onto you, right? Which you've probably put onto others during training as that instructor. What is it that helps you close your eyes to get that, like, combat wink out there? Well, Buds instructors, that's basic underwater demolition SEAL team uh, instructors are very good at what they do. And they and their main purpose in life is to get you to quit training because they want you to quit training and not combat. Right. So they have uh, very devious ways of playing with your mind that you have to figure out yourself that that's all it is, is a mind game or else you will quit. And uh, like I said, we lose 70 percent of our uh, initial candidates anyway so they, that's how effective they are so I, I think uh once i figured out that you know they weren't going to take my birthday away my mom still loved me right um, you know they weren't going to kill me uh supposedly then it just becomes a matter of grunting it out until uh, until that evolution is done so i i tell people it's kind of like being an alcoholic right you got to take one day at a time yeah uh, but when you're at buds it's like one minute at a time to make it through that evolution and then you get ready for the next one and then the next one that's kind of how it is and if you don't if you start thinking about oh man i have months of this uh, it's not gonna it's, work it's, yeah it's not gonna work was there somebody that stood out that was a teammate with you that went through with you that helped pulled you through any tough spots that you remember? yeah i think uh you know i had some really good friends and one of them just passed his name was willie hines a really awesome seal way too smart to be a navy seal though he basically got out of the Navy and became a geneticist uh, for an agriculture company. So I'm like, anyway, this is the kind of guy that, but it, you know, you can tell right away at Bud's who the guys are probably going to make it and the ones that aren't, you know, just by their man, the way they handle themselves, they go the extra mile to take care of stuff, uh, whether it be stupid stuff like cleaning your room to whatever, taking care of your equipment and not blowing it off, you know. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Wow, so you've been in for a minute, right? You were in during like the 70s through the 2000s. So you saw... Yeah, it was 34. I did 34 years. So I was there for a lot, a lot of different things. And you know what? I didn't even like read off your creds. You know, we just jumped into 
to Rick and Rad chatting about, you know, what did you do? What were you doing at 16 years old? Let me just read some of uh, Rick's, some creds, some key features, if you don't mind. Let me brag about you for a little bit, okay? So our guest Rick today, Rick received the Silver Star for Valor during the Battle of Mogadishu, which is Black Hawk Down, which was made into a movie, etc. We've seen it. He served at SEAL Team 6 from 1985 through 2012, acting as Sniper Explosives Expert, Lead Training Chief, Sniper Team Leader, and Deputy Operations Officer. He is now Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy UDT SEAL Museum. Real quick, about the author, though, I want to, because he's got his book, and I just want to read this blurb. It's great. You're great. Rick Kaiser served his country between 1979 and 2013 as a prominent member of SEAL Team 2 and SEAL Team 6. He received the Silver Star for his leadership in the Battle of Mogadishu, better known as Black Hawk Down. He continues to serve, as I mentioned, as the Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy UDT SEAL Museum for both Fort Pierce, Florida, and San Diego, California, with the same resolve that made him effective in the teams. Rick lives with his wife, Barbara, in Vero Beach, Florida. And we got to give her a shout out because period in the story. Yeah. Happy life, happy life. You're right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so, so you come to us with a lot of experience, world knowledge. I I feel like you're almost dad to me. Like I I see you and I just, (laughs) I just want to say thanks. Is that what you know? (laughs) I don't know. I I was born in 77, dad. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) <laughs> I got to tell you, the uh, military, you know, I was 34 years of it. I, I do miss it. I miss aspects of it. I miss the teamwork. I miss the uh, the mission laser focus. I miss mm-hmm. the, the guys, you know, I'll never be in a team like that again. But uh, I'm still serving with the, as part of the museum because we do so much more than a museum, right? So a museum right. is a bunch of things, but our museum we take care of our families. We have a memorial. We honor our fallen. We preserve our history and heritage. And basically, we are in a position now, especially to help the future of this country, because a lot of the things that we stand for, honor, courage, commitment, sacrifice, is not taught today in schools. And uh, it's we're the last we're the last line of defense for any young person that wants to come learn about military service and you know, what this country's all about. Yeah. And, and you can go in there and talk with yourself or any of the curators who are on site and just ask questions. I'm sure you have other volunteers who have yep. served or that are giving their explanations. Okay. I got to put it together like this. There's the punk rock museum in Las Vegas. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And no effects created the punk rock museum. And he's got like guys from the vandals giving tours and guys from all the punk bands giving tours. You know, you might never know who's going to be given a tour. Is that kind of the same thought when you're at the UDT? You might be talking to someone like yourself who's, you know, you're just like, hi, how you doing? I'm going to talk to you about this Zodiac boat. Yeah. So normally uh, most of our volunteers are veterans, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily Navy SEALs, but they have, sure. you know, have served. That's bonus because they know the language. They know what people like to hear. And then we do have a number of SEALs that have retired in the area that actually come to volunteer at the museum to do that. To be They're active, like mannequins. Uh, yeah, I'm really alive. Places, right? And then uh, depending on if we have large <laughs> groups or not, I'll get out there and, and give a tour or um, the rest of our the rest of the team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll bring out Master Chief. Do you, do you have a cup have of coffee that you still need? Do you have a cup, coffee, that you, coffee? Do you have a cup that you still have? Like a... Yeah, I don't. You know what? If I don't know what it was like in the Air Force, but in the Navy, you don't leave your coffee cup laying around, especially in the SEAL team, because. You know, nasty stuff can happen to that. 
Oh, no. I've seen Flight of the Intruder. It's got to be similar to that. Uh, it is. It is. But worse. But worse. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now, with you going into Black Hawk Down, a friend of mine, um, he was there as well. Uh, he was a colonel, Colonel Danny McKnight. Yep. I know yes. him very well. So he, Danny, lives up, uh, he lives by me here in Florida. Yeah, right. And uh, still talk with his daughter, Pam, and all these guys, you know, and everything. And he does airsoft war games on a large scale or was doing them for many years from like 2001 till about maybe three years ago, COVID hit, you know, and uh, he was the alpha commander. So I would work underneath him as his lieutenant. And then he'd have, we'd have a platoon. I'd have a whole 36 man platoon and there'd be like five or six of us and we'd be having briefs with him. And he'd be like, well, Rack, what we're going to do here is like, you know, we're going to do this and do that and do this. And what do you want to do? And I'm <laughs> like, uh, you're the planner. He's like, but you're the fighter, you know? So I really liked that he was able to, Kind of like let the leash off of us yep. and to trust his guys that he really didn't know, even in airsoft war games, yep. to, to to come up with a game plan, right? As a master chief, you're supposed to work with the officer, right, in the team. Right, right. Behind the scenes, you know, the officer is really looking to you for that that experience and that knowledge. What are you looking for from him in reverse? What's that? Well, the, the way it works in a SEAL team is the uh, senior enlisted guys. Master Chief, in my case, was uh, is the tactical leader of any mission, right? So if you're going to take down a building, it's the Master Chief's job to plan that, how we're exactly we're going to do this, right? It's the officer, the SEAL officer's job to coordinate how you get in, uh, air assets that are above you, the communications with uh, other forces. That's, that's his job, and those two have to work together uh, at all times, uh, or else it, it all falls apart just falls apart so there's this there's this unspoken like we're gonna get along we have to yes yep yep because your opinion matters and your opinion matters as a master chief when it comes to you get briefed on what the what's going down and they listen to what you're saying and then they'll they'll chew that up and uh talk to the officer etc i just want to let my listener know that you know um it's a team effort in the in all in all aspects you guys are always on the you probably go by first names on the teams right well, you know, when we're, when we're on uh, missions, or we usually use code uh, code words. You know, like uh, Bravo Zero One. You know, means mm-hmm. you know the officer in charge. But um, just to keep it, so if you're on the radio, everybody understands who you're talking to, and it's not like, "Hey, Rick, how you doing?" You know, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's so that's kind of how it works on a on a combat mission. Yeah, I just know growing up with the SF team around my dad and the guys was like, "Hey, Jack." He's like, hey, uh, Rick. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you know? different. Yeah, if you're yeah. in a team room, absolutely. That's yeah. yeah. That's a whole Def- different thing. But I still, you know, could never. I would never actually call my boss by his first name ever. I just wouldn't do it. I just. It's just a thing. It's, it's been ingrained in me since I joined the Navy, and uh, and it's just been easier for me to go sir or captain or you know. And they're cool with that. They'll take that yeah. name. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. their name. Major General Colonel Sir. Yeah, yeah. that's their name. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Sir. Let's go surf, Major. <laughs> yeah, there's certain, you know, there's a lot of people I don't even know their first name, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because their name was Captain or their name was Admiral, right? So, Dude, the longest I time know. my dad was Sergeant First Class. I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. like, we should name our son Sergeant First Class, honey. Exactly. Junior Sergeant First Class sound good? <laughs> yeah. So I still work for, um, when I first joined the teams, I went to SEAL Team 2 and my first CEO or one of my first CEOs was named, uh, it was Cap Rick Woolard. And then I worked for him again as my boss at uh, SEAL Team 6. 
And then I worked for him again as he's the chairman of our board of directors for the museum. So I was like, I can't get rid of this guy. No. I've been working with him for, or for him for 30 years, right? Or 40 years now. It's awesome. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit of a time there, a little friendship. Yep. <laughs> okay, my laugh is, is, is there, but I, I'm thinking about Black Hawk Down and Operation Gotham Serpent. And you got, what, what was your job? I know you're SEAL, but what were you guys doing there? We all hear about the Rangers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, my sniper team went in there with the army, basically. And, and uh, the thought process at the time was there was always a, a, a lot of headbutting and competition between us and our army counterparts. So the uh, officer in charge, General Garrison, decided to put a baby SEAL element within that unit to try to breach that gap, right? Mm-hmm. To try to I mean, get us to all work together. And that's why we were there. I mean, of course, it was only four of us and, you know, a hundred of them. But, uh, you know, we we figured it out and, we, you know, we did our job. And I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, we respected them and they respected us. Were you a part of that, what they call the Mogadishu Mile? Were you? Yeah, it sure was. I wasn't running the whole way, but uh, I was certainly part of it picking people up as we went to, <laughs> we went to the soccer stadium. And that's when um, it was like everybody needs to go back to the soccer stadium and fall back, right? You had recovered. Can you tell us a little bit yeah, about what had, led uh, to the Mogadishu Mile? Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, the, what I tell people when I talk about Mogadishu is that that was the day that the Somalis decided to fight. That's basically it, what, what it was. Uh, we saw footage of, uh, you know, truckloads of fighters coming in with guns that we saw after the battle, right? But, you know, we were wondering where all these people were coming from and they were being shipped in from all over the city to come fight us. And probably most of them didn't care or they didn't really want to fight. It was just one of the things to do, right? So uh, anyway, as the day progressed and we actually went in for this, I actually went in for the third time to go and uh, rescue some of the guys that were stuck in the city. When everybody was recovered and the sun started coming up, we started getting a lot more small arms fire, obviously, because, you know, they could see us. We were the only ones that had the night vision. And uh, they were basically said, hey, let's go. <laughs> let's get the hell out of here before, you know, before it gets, you know, like the day before. Right. So when that happened, everybody just, you know, cranked up their Humvees and whatever they were on uh, and, and headed towards the soccer stadium. And uh, unfortunately, some some people got left behind in that mad dash to get the hell out of the town. And uh, so we went and picked up some people on, along the way once we realized what was happening. Just a lot of bounding and overwatch. Is that what you were doing? I mean, was your thought process like, okay, we got to... No, it was kind of a, it was a joint uh, effort with units that had never trained together, right? So you right, had 10th right. Mountain Division, you had, uh, you know, the Rangers, you had the SEALs, you had the Army SF. So you had all that. And, and none of us had actually work together the communications was pretty poor between the different units as far as you know who's in charge who's doing what you know that's the recipe for disaster you know and that's basically what happened but luckily didn't prove to be a disaster because most people are good runners <laughs> when you're right. getting shot well, at you become a good runner you guys have horse thighs you guys are trained to taper your legs but my friend i tell you what you guys are runners runners and runners so that makes sense when you watch the movie Black Hawk Down and you see every ounce of energy given to combat, but yet they still have to just go one more mile running with 
you know, their friends and their gear and they're slodging along and they're just making it happen. It kind of shows you the, the resolve, you know, that training can kick in and push you through. Like you said, I think maybe you said everybody can do it. It's just 70% of them wash out of it kind of attitude. If, if they just know that it's about the next minute and just moving forward. Right. Yep. Bro. So it was, uh, when we did get to the stadium, it was kind of like a surreal environment. If you can imagine all the helicopters were in the center, you know, take medevacing people out because of the original, you know, hundred people that went in there, we lost, you know, 18 of them that were KI. Right. And then we, every, you know, a good 70 of them were wounded. So luckily unscathed, they just sat in the, uh, the bleachers, right, uh, with uh, two of my other SEAL friends, if one of them had been shot. And uh, one of the Pakistani soldiers came by and gave us some soup. And it was just like a surreal. This guy's like, here you go. And we're like, thank you very much as we're watching all this carnage in front of us, mm-hmm. wondering for when it was our time to get out of there. And finally, we got a helicopter, flew back to the base, and they basically said, you know, reload. We're getting ready to go back out again. And that's you know, exactly how it is when you're going through Bud's training. You think it's over, and then they say, oh, we were going to do one more mile, or we're going to do, you know. We're going to take the pillow out from your head. <laughs> exactly. And that's how they break people. But if you're right. ready for it, which we, you know, we were, it's just another another day. You're like, oh, we're spinning up. Let's yeah. go. That's just what we do. And so you're already psychologically built. Yeah. Your instructors legoed your brain together. Yeah. See, I've been boxing for, you know, about eight months now, but probably about 200 days in that eight months I've gone. And so I feel that all of a sudden I get this brain fog at the bag. My coach will be like, two, three, two, three, five, four, five, slip, slip, bop. You know what I'm like? Okay. I get the first three sets down and then I'll forget and he'll say it to me. And I'm like, oh, bam, 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 right back to it. And I was like, oh, you got my dog whistle, coach. Oh, you, you know. He's like, that's why I would be in your corner. <laughs> He's like, cause if I saw you freeze up, I would just tell you what you need and boom, you get it done. And I was like, Oh yeah, dude, program me, unlock that character inside of me, sir. <laughs> that's right. That is right. And, and that's what happened with you. Your instructors knew the character that you were and they unlocked you and all of your special powers, like some crazy video game character. You get the sniper platform, you get the cool skins, you get all the cool (laughs) gear, you get the accessories, you know, you have all the downloadable content immediately. It's like, oh, and a satellite phone. (laughs) Yeah, all that stuff comes at a price. (laughs) I know it comes at a price. And, uh, you know, and if my listener wants to know what price that is, go talk to a Navy recruiter or your local uh, career counselor and find out what that price is. Because I promise you, it's a blank check of you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's. So thank but, you for what I would say to any young person is they can't go wrong though. You cannot go wrong by joining the military. You don't have to be a SEAL. You don't have to join the Navy. You can do anything. There's so many opportunities out there. Um, it's heartbreaking to see that they're having trouble recruiting young young people. But why does that surprise you after things like uh, you know the pullout in Afghanistan or you know some of the stuff crazy stuff that's going or like on. holding promotions hostage yeah. over officers who have earned the right to move up in their life right. no matter what side of the aisle like right and I know during George Washington days Congress was always like you know holding things over his head and there's always a battle between you know executive branch legislative branch all these different branches but you know at the end of the day when I was talking to a major general I asked him um. How did you transition all the paperwork from George W. Bush to President Obama without having like any type of political bias? And he's like, well, Rad, it doesn't matter who I vote for because it says U.S. 
Navy, U.S. Army, U.S. Marines, yeah. U.S. Air Force on our name tapes. And so first and foremost, it's U.S. And so he's like, you know, you know, it may not be my guy in the race, but he's my guy now. And so here's the book of stuff that he was supposed to focus on, et cetera. You know, these are the most right. important things. Yeah, that's the way it has to work. And I, I love that sentiment of like, it's the U.S. We're the U.S., right? Like we're supposed to have a difference of opinions. We're just normal human beings and we have thoughts. But at the end of the day, we're all under the same umbrella of the red, white, and blue, those stars right. and stripes. And uh, I'm a big believer in just like, we just need one flag in America. No, That's I agree me. with you. I mean, That's do you it. think those people that are being, the Americans being held in Gaza right now care who the president is? No. They just want to get rescued. They don't Correct. care. No, they and they do need that. to be rescued. And, yeah. and again, with Gaza, right? And And so I would like free Palestinian people, not under oppression. And I would like free people in the world, not under oppression. Let me just put that out there, right? I'm not saying one way or the other. I just think that, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself from hostile acts. And I also think that some of the people in, you know, Palestine don't want to be a part of the hostile acts, but they're like caught in the middle of it all. And, you know, the media likes to like, let us know who those people are. It's usually women and children, right? That are just constantly being attacked. And there's no one that can verify it. And there's no one that can't verify. It. It's just like this ominous, the media tells us what's up. So yes, free the hostages. If there's a ceasefire happening right now in Gaza and we're coming to a ceasefire, the hostages need to be a part of that ceasefire. Like if there's an agreement, please just release them so that it can stop. I agree. Get them out. That's what I'm saying. Can you imagine those poor people, what they're going through? I mean, they're, they're scarred for life. You know, I've seen some that have gone to the media after they got out and they're just like, you know, let us just go. Like, just let them go home. Like, this isn't worth it. You know, it's not worth it. And if, if Hamas leadership really thinks it's worth it, wow, you're losing like 20, you lost 25,000 civilian people and your whole entire city is gone, right? Is it really worth it, right? And I guess that's for those to decide. But again, when I mentioned earlier that the veterans over there were the ones protesting Netanyahu, that's true. There was a huge uprising until this kicked off and he was, they were asking him to be removed and they're still asking for him to be removed. So on both sides of the fence, what do you think about that? I, you know, I don't really have an opinion on, uh, on their politics. I was surprised that more of the Israeli citizens, you know, don't have guns. I guess that was the, uh, the surprising thing to me because they're, most of them are veterans to train, right? But they're, it's just not in their culture to have a gun in the home. And that's really what allowed Hamas to come in there and, and kill so many and take so many hostage because they didn't have any way to defend themselves. So uh, just a, a thought for everybody in this country, you know? Yeah, and, and for people to kind of blame their politicians like, oh, well, it took four hours or however many hours for them to respond or, you know, et cetera, or why'd they allow it to come into the Iron Dome in the first place? I mean, you know, I'm just a pundit. I'm just the back armchair quarterbacking, just like everybody else right now. I'm not on the ground. I'm just saying what I'm hearing, right? I see people who are non-Jewish wholly advocating for the whole culture of like, this needs to stop, right? And they've just, it's just taken over for them. Right. They just have such a faith, a faith in wanting to see Israel free and Gaza and Israelis, the hostages freed. I just want to see that, too. You know, is that what you want to see also? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I, I don't see that. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah. But what if they're not, though? What if the hostages for the, you know, have met their their fate? What if that's the situation? What what's the thoughts of a Navy SEAL? I mean, it would be a terrible thing if it was one of my family members. 
in there, but I also understand exactly what the thought process is. If they don't stand up and do something now, it's it's not going to, it's going to end eventually, right? And if they don't get their goals accomplished, then it's going to happen again. So I understand both sides of this. Um, there's a, yeah. you, you never win when, when there's a war, right? I mean, like Somalia, for example. There's, we're still fighting in Somalia. We still have U.S. troops in Somalia. So what did we accomplish, you know, 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So It's still going on. Yeah, yeah. the Pakara market still thrives with $60 yeah. full-auto AKs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 60000 in the U.S., though. I don't understand that. Okay, $60,000 for the same AK in the U.S. is 60 bucks in the Pakara market. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. Wow. It is. It is. It's just. It's just. It's crazy. I, and then we have all these other actors that are trying to get in to like the shipping lanes. And we just lost two seals recently that had tried to board or whatever the case was with the vessel out on in the Red Sea. And you know they're they've met their fate according to everybody. Now let me. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll step into that one. Um, you know, when we do shipboarding, it's probably mm-hmm. one of the most dangerous things you can do. It's at night. Usually, you know, it depends on the sea state and uh, how safe it is. But normally there's a, some sort of sea state. So when you come up along a bigger ship with a small boat, I mean, the small boat is next to that and it's moving like this and the big ship doesn't move. And you have to, it, it, there's so many things that can go wrong. It's just incredible. And uh, I've seen many of my friends get popped off a ladder. It doesn't matter how strong you are or, or, or if you're, uh, your technique Mm-hmm. If, if the boat decides to go down while you're on the ladder and it catches on that ladder, you're off that ladder. And you better hope you don't hit something on the way down like your other teammate or the boat. And then once you hit the water, if you're still conscious, you have to, you know, get your stuff off and get to the surface. And unfortunately, those two guys didn't make it. No. And uh, those guys would have been outfitted probably in like uh, some type of uh, device that they could have pulled the cord and ripped their Absolutely. equipment off of maritime. Absolutely. Yeah. style equipment we train and- with that we train that all the time um you know they do uh buoyancy testing so right. you jump into the pool and make sure that you know if you go to the bottom you're too heavy you need to change something up and uh they have flotation devices obviously uh, on them also so i guess we'll just never know what what happened no. like even the plates are cut in a swimmer fashion they're called swimmer cut plates for the plates so you guys can yep. have the movement of the freedom there's just yep. a lot of technical stuff that goes into a navy seals kit to help them be the best and be successful and these guys probably wouldn't have taken the task of boarding if it was not if it wasn't worth it right they can stand right right no and they i mean the, the team even though we lost two guys completed the mission mm-hmm. right they took the boat over and sure enough there was a bunch of arms on it that were being transported to i can't remember what right the story where it was being warheads sent, i think is what it was i think there was yeah, like some they, warheads okay. They completed the mission, but it was a big, it was a great cost, unfortunately. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, rest easy for those guys and their family. Sorry for the loss and the community. You know, it, it, it hit hard. And I know SoftRep has a lot of family, like. Yep. So we'll be adding their names on the, uh, we have a Navy SEAL memorial at our, uh, museum in Fort Pierce on Memorial Day. And it's, uh, a great ceremony, uh, guest speakers, fam- all the family members will show up and, we will unveil the names um, at the memorial. That's very kind and very thoughtful and just a legacy to keep their names always 
out there. Absolutely. 100% top of mind, you know. Um, been to plenty of funerals, and the only thing we want to see is the photos and just like the memories. And so keeping the name alive, yeah. you know, that's very cool. Yeah. I do want my own pyramid. I'm not trying to piggyback off on that, but <laughs> you know, we do. No, so, yeah. So the book was, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I wrote the book was so I could promote the museum, right? right. Cause that's, that's my job. That's my mission. So, and so far it's, it's helped a lot, you know, so I've had a lot of new people uh, that are learning about the museum and what we do. And um, it's been, it's been wild. Right. Stories that you can tell in the museum, bro. I mean, the the stories that can come out of the just whatever canvas strap is attached to somebody's chest rig in there. If I go in there, I would just stare at the buckles. I'd be like, what year were those buckles? Are those 2003? So what was he doing in khaki 2003 with black buckles? You know, there's just like the small little things in my mind, you know? And so where can we, is there a website that I could uh, have put in? Yeah, it's www.navysealmuseum.org. And uh, the Florida, or I should say the California site uh, is coming online. It'll be open by the next end of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fort Pierce is, uh, Museum has been open since 1985, right? So we've been around in Florida because uh, Fort Pierce is the birthplace of the Navy SEAL, just so you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, the first thing people ask me is, why in the world is the Navy SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce, Florida? Well, 80 years ago, the original frogmen trained to take the beaches of Normandy right in Fort Pierce. And that's why we're there. So the, the museum is actually on the Navy base that existed back those 80 years ago uh, in World War II. So that, that's all that's, tied together. That's legit. You know, I have to just give my dad a shout out again. The one thing that always eluded him on his uniform was a combat diver badge. That was the one thing that he would be like, oh, I'm just not Green Beret enough. Because <laughs> yeah. he was a young man no, diving. Yeah. Do you really deserve a combat diving badge for diving in Key West? Oh Come yeah, on. really, really. He just wanted to have that <laughs> scuba head. I think with the the the. I mean, even in the dead of night, the water is so clear you can see exactly what you're doing because uh, from the moon or whatever. But uh, probably. he was a young boy that dived Lake Michigan off of a tugboat down to tugboats when he was like 16. And then he joined in 17, oh. the Navy. And then he went from the so he Navy. He knows cold water. He does. Yeah, he's from he uh, two rivers. If you know Wisconsin, he's from two rivers, Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Which means that yes. I'm kind of from two rivers, Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm from, I think I'm from Florida now because I'm not going any further north because I'm not going in the snow, never shoveling a driveway again, never. So that's why I'm a Floridian now. So I guess I am a Utahn. Let me be, let me, let me just listen to what you're saying. <laughs> Cause I snowboard three to four times. In fact, it's snowing and it's a powder day today. And you're that important to me. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to well, know. As soon as you hang up, you can go, go do your, speech. my wife's like right here. Like <laughs> what, what? She's like, here, <laughs> put your goggles on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. See, and, and that's a healthy relationship. See, what do you do to, to wind down? Do you, do you surf being in Florida? What is it that's helping you other than the museum? I know no, you're curating. Uh, I wish I was coordinated enough to surf. My, my son is an excellent surfer, but, uh, what I do to, uh, I, I still have my same routine that I did when in the SEAL teams, I usually work out every morning, something swimming or, or running. And it, I mean, being in Florida, it's easy to do that because it's very seldom that it's, bad enough that you can't do that right so that's that's what i usually do and then uh and then 
working at the museum. You go to the VA promoting ever? the museum and uh, and everything else that we do keeps me keeps me busy. And then opening the new one in San Diego that keeps me really busy. So I'm I bet it is I'm, uh, on my toes. Do you go to the VA? Or are you using the VA after service? I haven't had a great experience with the VA, so I I try not. I try to avoid it when I when I do. Is it because they tell you what you don't want to hear, or is it because they don't get you in for six months? That, yeah, the, the latter. You know, if they get you in, they don't. There's communications. At least in my experience, the communications is very poor. Mm-hmm. They'll set you up in with an appointment, and then you'll get a postcard in the mail saying your appointment's the tomorrow, and you're like, well, hey, I got, you know. I have my life. I have to work. Right. And, uh, you know, and then you try to call and there's no answer. And it's just, you know, so it's just easier for me to not do it. To not see. And I'm very fortunate that I don't have to depend on it. Right, right. And I, I keep trying to advocate for my younger guys to take care of themselves now because when they're older, it's going to be harder for their significant other to push them around the VA. You know, like right. how my mom pushed my dad into their 60s, you know, and like, he was just getting wheeled and she was doing all of it and carrying the bags and taking him to his appointments while I was growing my life as the son with a new wife and kids. Mom was just taking dad. We didn't think twice. It's like, Oh, mom's yeah. with dad at the VA, at the VA, at the VA, the VA. So I just wanted to find out, you know, your thoughts on your experience going to the VA just so my listener can. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I said, I, some people have nothing but glowing reports. I just, I didn't, I wasn't one of those guys. And I, like I said, I'm fortunate I don't have to. Exactly. And uh, I don't do it. That's that's it. That's it. That's what I wanted to find out. Now, yep. what story do you want to tell me? What story do you yeah, want to yeah, tell Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frogman stories. Okay, I'll tell you, um, you know, the while you're going through training, um, everybody's got a story, right? Everybody got a story and and if you didn't think about quitting while you're going through hell week you're you're not telling the truth right so uh i guess my story on that was uh, you know it was a wednesday night you know halfway through hell week uh they feed you uh four times a day you know you got to keep that energy going because you're going all the time with very little or no sleep for the week and so you go to the chow hall and they turn the temperature up right so it was probably you know high 80s inside the chow hall and you just gorge yourself with as much food as you can and then they tell you not to go to sleep right so within like minutes everybody's every everyone's asleep right and then they come busting in of course yelling at you we told you not to go to sleep and now you will pay the price for this and blah 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 and at that moment i thought to myself what in the world am i doing here you know it's like what is going on and they kind of just followed with the group and we got in line and they put us all in the ocean and it was cold out and um i think that the jolt and the shock of the cold water woke me up and really saved me so they saved me unintentionally that night um by waking me up in the cold water yeah because you're you're gonna let the food coma take you you're like yeah exactly warm food luckily uh, you know i woke up after that and never thought about it again wow that yeah, because like you said, everybody it goes to their head, right? It's like, Absolutely. what am I doing here? <laughs> exactly. Why? Am, this is not fun. Yeah. But then it turned into fun. Can you tell us that? Uh, you know what? A, a lot of it, you know, and I obviously when we tell stories mm-hmm. in the book, it's mostly funny, happy stories, right? It's not bad stories or shoot 'em up stories. Um, 
it's just about funny things that happened to me throughout my career in the SEAL team. So for the most part, you know, with, with your, you and your buddies, it, it, it's fun, right? All the ammo you get to shoot, right? That's Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is really great. Like I said, it comes at a price. And then uh, you pay the price, but then you keep having the, having the fun. You should have a shirt that says it comes at a price. <laughs> Rick says it comes at a price. <laughs> Everything comes at a Everything price. Everything comes at a price. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that. I become better people when I interview better people. It comes at a price, yeah. right? Like Mary, for example. Ask your wife. Oh, yeah. Probably the highest. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, geez. We've been together uh, 25 years. Married 23, so. Congratulations. I'm now 46, so that gives you an age. In Utah, we get young, dude. We're like, if you're not a grandma by 25, you're old. You know, it's like, no, no. yeah, we, we get married young here. Kids are young here. Kids have kids young here. Yeah, like my mom was a grandma at 36. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? And my brother was already 19. So let's yeah. be clear, right? So just young exactly. families here. That's how it is, dude. Did you join the Air Force? What? No. Well, I grew up outside of Hill Air Force Base. And so oh, okay. I would see, you know, my dad was stationed here from California with the 19th group. We left Cali, came here in 83. He got stationed at Camp Williams with the Green Berets uh, in 81. And then we finally showed up in 83 during the great flood of Utah when it was all flooded. And then... uh I've just grown up with F-16s flying over. I literally lived under the flight path and we'd see like the B-1 bomber with its swoop wings always taken off. And my dad would be like, I wonder where that gasoline dissipates to, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't understand. But they were trying to figure out why all the ladies in the church ward um, were coming down with like multiple sclerosis, including my mom. And so they were trying to think if it was something to do with like the fuel from underneath the flight path for our, all our lives, living underneath there for so many years had just come down into the the breathing air they're just trying to figure out why a lot of ladies were getting ms in the ward different doctors so yeah but the yeah. yeah blue beret man it was the blue beret that taunted me my dad wore a green one i was a young kid yeah. young dumb and full of all the things they say and uh yeah i said yeah. i wanted a blue one <laughs> i have a good uh air force military police story so we were in herobert in florida in the panhandle and uh we were doing some training out on uh, out on the base there, and nobody had ever told us about you know you have I don't know what they call it but it's like we call it like the red line of death that's around that the line around these aircraft like if you cross over it all of a sudden there's like everybody's there red alert yeah yes exactly so we were like all geared up right uh, it was about six of us and we were just walking to the aircraft and we weren't paying attention we just was doing a beeline to the aircraft that we were going to get on and uh, we crossed another line for another aircraft and all of a sudden everybody starts coming in and we had all our shit on us too so we're like going what you know what's going on right all these guys are coming at us with guns we have guns and it's like this standoff and then they start yelling at us to get outside the line right we're like what, you know, what, what line? line are you yeah. talking about it was dark we didn't see, you know we didn't see any damn line and um we're finally you know everything settled down and then uh, we got a lesson in uh air force etiquette as far as don't cross this line. <laughs> We're like, okay, we didn't, didn't even know it was what it was, right? So, anyway, that's that's my Air Force uh, security story. Yeah, no, luckily we didn't get arrested. That's it. That's it. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean, growing up, military brat, right outside of base, we skateboarded the base. It was always skating. It's like this is my base, bro. You can't stop me. I have an ID card, you know. Yeah. And so they, we'd be skating in like some fuel dump where they have like the 
pylons that go on the jets, you know, that they would fill with fuel. But to us, it had like this embankment area that we could just like come up and do like a kickflip or whatever on it. And it was just the best security forces rolls up. Like you guys can't be in here. We're like military IDs. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. You know, how do you stop iron Eagle, bro? You know, the kid lives on base, man, you know, exactly. (laughs) Plus my dad was army. So there was a, one up on that. I was an army kid. So I was like, uh, air force, this is an army ID, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Say, I don't know any better. Yeah. I don't know any better. <laughs> and then <laughs> exactly. the moment I joined and flew out on my first airplane was the time I joined was the first time I flew on a United and they put a skate park at the base. I was like, what? Now that I'm leaving, now there's a skate park. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you guys, that's supposed to be done when we were skating it. So they put a skate park at Hill because of all of us yeah. skating everywhere. The parents were like, yeah, good idea. where's our kids supposed to skate? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? They're kids. Great idea. <laughs> power of killed for power of parents, right? That's right. I would have killed for a skate park for my son. He, you know, I ended up building a number of half pipes, right? So oh, so you know? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, those skater little skater freaks. Yeah, that's us. You can't stop us. I'm going to skate your flight line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the cool thing is, is they knew. They probably knew it's. Who we were, you know, we were always around just causing trouble on the bat, on the base. That's us. Either at the pool or skateboarding or at the movie theater, whatever it was, you know, just going up there. But those are good times. Love you, dad. Always. Thanks for the good times, yeah. you know. God bless. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, did you have family that served as well? Did you mention that? My father served. Uh, he was in the Army Reserve. And my uncle was a Army Air Corps oh. back in World War II, believe it or not. Yeah. He actually Third at the Nuremberg trials of all things. And then my other uncle was an Air Force guy. So, yeah, there's an Air Force yeah. in the family. And uh, that was it. And then, the, you know, I, the next couple of generations, I, I think I was probably the only one that joined, to be honest with you. I don't, I'd have to, that's a good question. I'd have to think about it, but I think I am the only one. Yeah, right. Um, Any of your uh, lineage take off to the service? No, no. Um, I think they saw enough of the military that my son. I said, Dad, no, not for me. Not for him, I'm not right? doing that. I, like, I can't blame him. He grew up his whole life, you know, around it, and it wasn't pleasant. And my daughter, she, she's just not made for, for that's just not her choice. So, yeah. Anyway, God bless them. They're both successful, you know, citizens earning their own way. They're off the, uh, you know, dad's paycheck. Yeah. And God bless they cut the cord. Them. The umbilical cord has been severed. Yeah, that, the- that cord was cut <laughs> a long time ago, but. Uh, um, yeah, the money, you know, I always felt guilty. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll pay for this. I'll sure. pay for that. And then finally they're like, you don't have to keep doing this, dad. And I'm like, well, thank you. you got, got that's, it. Is that success? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. You know, is a, I'm the same way. I'm yeah. like, oh, I got this kids. Kid, I'm like, why can't you put five, $10 in the gas tank? You use the car and they bring it back with the light on. And I'm like, I gotta go fill it up. <laughs> we got to break that now. Okay. I got to yeah. 10 bucks, Sydney. Yeah. I know you're working hard as a hostess, dear. Okay, at a barbecue place, but just ten bucks yeah. in the tank goes a long way with that. Okay, come yeah. on now. Yeah. <laughs> at least two gallons. Yeah. At least, yeah, really, really, at least two gallons, not yellow. I mean, you get, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, hook me up with twenty yeah. bucks and I'll PayPal you back. I'm like, you have a job. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm, I'm a sucker for the kid, for the girls, for the boy too. I got three kids. Oh, of course. You know, of course, yeah. And the wife. So the- my kids, my. Uh- <laughs> Father has actually married a uh, Coast Guard guy. Oh. And uh, he's, they're stationed in Miami. 
And then my son works up at Jacksonville. So they're on both ends of the state of Florida. So it's like hours of driving each, you know. Right. Uh, but at least we're in the same state. Yeah, that's so that's good. cool. That's cool. You guys are all safe. I, I just interviewed your congressman, Reese, maybe like within the last six months. He's also uh, Green Beret. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Matt. Yeah, yeah, I just interviewed him. I had him on and we talked a little bit. Yeah, he's uh, actually our congressman for our museum district. Oh, is that right? Yeah, really nice dude. Yeah, so I know him very well. Yeah, great guy. Really nice guy. He talked about Green Berets, you know, of course I did. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Can't help that conversation, bro. I, but, yeah. you know, I have a friend who's a Green Beret and, and that's cool and all, but what's cooler is he played for West Point. And so, like, the Green Beret, I'm like, I've met him so many times, but you played for West Point football, bro? You know, like, there's a thing. Yeah. So, what's what's your plans? You have Frogman Stories Part 2, 3, 4 thinking about? What are you going to... Oh, I haven't even uh, thought about that. I, my my mission right now is to complete the San Diego Museum, which has taken all my time and effort because uh, we got a lot of money to raise. we got a lot of planning to do as far as uh, what we're going to offer there. And then I have to keep... Fort Pierce, you know, at a high standard. Right. We're building there too. We're developing a new building to host the artifacts because the history of the seals is not over, right? No. So it's like we have to keep expanding and changing. Is it everything's still going, right? It's not like a typical museum, you know, it like evolves. World War II. Yeah. It's like from this time to this time, the seals are from, you know, 1942 till who knows. So that's, that's my job. So that keeps me busy enough. What can I do to help you and your mission? I think you promoting the Navy SEAL Museum. Tell people that are here in Florida, please come visit or just go visit the website. I think we have a lot of great things on there. A historical picture uh, archive from, like I said, World War II all the way to the present days. Uh, we have a lot of things going around all over the country. So you can't make it to Florida. We have things in uh, Colorado coming up. We have things in Texas. And it's all going to be on the website. All over. Yeah, all on the website. And we will have that so that it's a hyperlink on the softrep.com website. And wherever we post this up, my guy Anton, producer, he'll make sure that that's all put in there so that you can just click on it if you guys want to learn more or if you're listening and you just want to scroll over and just go check out the UDT Museum. It's the Navy Seal And, uh, yep. you know, retired Master Chief. Look, reminds me of Henry Rollins, Rick, bro, so cool. I gotta get a, gotta get my hair colored, I guess. A little bit, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. No, you're way cool, man. I feel like some Dogtown Z Boy action coming from you. I know you're in Florida, but I just get this like SoCal vibe from you, and uh, and uh, maybe it's the the Wisconsin in you, bro. I, I really appreciate yeah. you being on the show. Did you ever go to Manitowoc? Did. did you ever go there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you ever eat at a place called Phil Roar's Burgers? Oh no! Oh, that, one. that was my dad's cousin's. He made Sorry. like these little twenty-five cent hamburgers with smash, and you buy like a bag of them. I was just wondering, just giving him a shout out. No, no. <laughs> well, listen. On behalf of Brandon Webb, my boss, former sniper instructor for the SEALs, yep. SEAL Team Two, I think, as a matter of fact, he was a part of that. I just want to say thanks for allowing me to interview with you. You've been a wonderful guest, and. I know there's so many stories that we can just open cans of worms with, but I really am grateful for your time today. I know you're super inundated with the museum and getting that up and going and your resolve is just steadfast and I'm, I'm happy you're in charge. So thank you for taking the time to speak to me and my guests and my listener and the viewers. And uh, you have a great face for TV. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you can put some good face paint on right there and just like right back yeah. at it, dude. I love it. So... 
do you have any uh, thing to say? No, I'm very appreciative. Thank you for your time. You know, get out there, come visit us at the museum, check us out on our website. And, uh, you know, one thing I did fail to mention is we're building a, a monument uh, in Normandy, France, that will be dedicated at the end of May uh, in honor of the original frogmen that uh, took out the obstacles on the beaches in Normandy. And it's a wonderful thing, a partnership with our, our friends in France and obviously the family members of the that are still living of the frogmen that did that on D-Day because it's the 80th anniversary coming up. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, because those beachheads didn't clear themselves, did they? No. Nope. Those Bangalores had to move up, huh? <laughs> yep. Alpha One is not clear. Say again, Alpha One is not clear. (laughs) Hey, real quick before I wrap you up, are there donations being accepted to the museum to help it get? Yeah, it's all on the website. Okay, everything's on the website. We have everything from uh, uh, we have thing called Trident House that uh, it's a respite house for for vets that want to come here and visit the Florida Museum free of charge. We have a canine program where we get dogs to. you know, people that are, are struggling. We big scholarship program. Last year, we gave out over half a million dollars in scholarships. So yes, and we have the monument. We have everything going on. It's 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 great. It's keeping me busy. Then we will we will blast it out on all of our social media, and uh, this will go up. And I'm really grateful to have you on the show. And again, on behalf of Brandon Webb, everyone here at Soft Rep and our merch store, don't forget to go shop the merch store because we need you to buy that stuff so I can keep the fireplace going. I want to say thank right. you to Master Chief Rick Kaiser and his uh, awesomeness. Simple. Put it that way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, choosing to raise your hand and serve our nation and uh, do your job well because here you are today. Same to you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much. And with that said, this is Rad Say in Peace. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio.